This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services. Please open your Bibles to the book of 1 John. One of the most challenging verses in the Bible is found in the book of 1 John. 1 John 2, verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. In short, if we say we're Christians, then we must live as Christ lived. We must walk as Christ walked. And the reverse message is equally clear. If we are not walking as Christ walked, then we are not abiding in Christ, no matter how loudly we may profess otherwise. But what does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, we know how to enter into Christ. That happens at our baptism. Galatians 3.27, Romans 6, verse 3. But after we've done that, how do we abide in Christ? Well, 1 John 2, verse 6 gives us an important clue in answering that question. To abide in Christ, we must walk with Christ. Well, how do we walk with Christ? How do we continue to walk with Christ all throughout our lives? For those of us who are already on that walk, how do we improve our spiritual walk with Christ? How do we become closer to Christ? How do we become more like Christ? Well, the key to improving our spiritual walk with Christ is the same key to improvement in any area of our life. Well, what is the secret to improvement in any area of our life? What is that key? Well, it's this. You'll never change your life until you change something you do every day. To become stronger, I must exercise daily. To become healthier, I must eat right daily. To improve financially, I must watch what I spend daily. We all understand the truth of that statement. You'll never change your life until you change something you do daily. The problem is that many people don't do these things daily. They watch what they eat and they exercise and they save money for the first week of each year. And we know how that turns out. Of course, the area of improvement that really matters is the improvement of our spiritual life. But the key to improvement in our spiritual life is the same as the key to improvement in those other areas as well. Spiritual improvement comes from daily changes. It comes from our daily walk with Christ. You know, some people outside the church, likely some of your own neighbors, think of their spiritual life only in terms of yearly events. They may go to wherever they go on Easter or Christmas, and that's how they think of their spiritual walk, in terms of yearly events. In fact, you know, we have a name for such people. We call them yearly Christians. And we don't fall into that trap. We're not just yearly Christians. But do we fall into another trap? Are we just weekly Christians? 
Yes, there are some things that we must do only on the first day of the week. But there are many more things that we must be doing every day of the week. Things that we shouldn't do only on Sunday. The Bible is very clear on this point. God wants daily Christians. Well, what must a Christian be doing daily? Well, first, we must teach daily. You know, it seems that for the most part today, baptisms just occur on Sundays, don't they? That was not the case in the early church. Acts 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Acts 16, verse 5. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Daily. If people were being added to the church daily, then that means people were teaching daily. Daily. And in fact, we know that Paul taught daily. Acts 17, verse 17. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. We also must be teaching daily, perhaps in person, perhaps over the phone, perhaps by email, perhaps through a website, perhaps by our example of faithfulness, but however we do it, we need to be teaching daily. That needs to be a daily activity for the child of God. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28, verse 19? Did he say, go ye therefore on Sunday and teach all nations? No, he said, go, go. And we're supposed to go every day. Second, we must study, study daily. Do we study our Bibles every day, or is that something that's been relegated to one day of the week only? Weekly Bible study is not the example of Scripture. Acts 17, verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily, daily, whether those things were so. The noble Bereans studied their Bibles daily. You know, I've never met anyone who eats physical food only one day a week. But how often do we consume our spiritual food, the Word of God? Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. We must study God's Word daily. Next, we must exhort daily. Do we see each other only one day a week? Do we encourage and exhort each other only one day a week? That is not the example of Scripture. Hebrews 3, verse 13. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If we're having trouble with sin, then perhaps it's because we are not being exhorted enough. Perhaps we are not being encouraged, encouraged enough during the week to lead a righteous life. A solution to that problem is for all of us to follow the command of Hebrews 3.13 and exhort one another daily. 
Next, we must grow daily. A faithful child of God must be in a constant state of change. We must never stop growing. We must never be content with our current level of spiritual maturity. We must always be striving to change and become more and more like Christ each and every day, and that is the command of Scripture. 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.15, But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Changing is usually not the problem. The problem is that it's easier to change for the worse than it is to change for the better. If we're not walking with Christ daily, then we're in danger of becoming more like the world rather than more like Christ. And isn't that the problem that Paul was dealing with in Romans chapter 12, verse 2? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Are we conforming or are we transforming? Are we growing more like the world or are we growing more like Christ? How does a plant grow? How does a child grow? Weekly or daily? We know the answer to that question. They grow daily and so must we. But if we're to grow more like Christ daily, we must walk with Him daily. If we spend six days each week in the world and one day with Jesus, then are we going to be surprised if we end up growing more like the world than we do like Jesus? We must grow daily, be more and more like Jesus. Next, we must die daily. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that death is a one-time event. But the Scriptures also tell us that there's a sense in which death is a daily event for the child of God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31 I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily, Paul wrote. That was certainly true of Paul, as he faced physical peril every day for his proclamation of the gospel. But that must be true for all Christians. We all must die daily. Luke 9, verse 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does it mean to die daily? What does it mean to take up our cross daily? Well, Paul tells us what that means. Romans 8, verse 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Mortify the deeds of the body. I die daily. Why? So that I may live what Paul says. We die daily so that we may live. Death is the pathway to life. Listen to Jesus, John 11, 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believing in Jesus means obeying Jesus, 1 Peter 2, verse 7. And Jesus has commanded that all be baptized for the remission of sins. That was the message in the first gospel sermon ever preached. 
And that's been the message in every single gospel sermon that's ever been preached since. What is baptism? Paul tells us that. Romans 6, verse 4, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Those on the walk of faith die daily. But we begin that walk of faith by being buried with Christ by baptism into death. If you're not a Christian and you want to change, then today is the day for you to obey the gospel. If you are a Christian and you want to change, and that should be the desire of every Christian, then the pathway to the change we need is the daily walk with Christ. Remember how we started this lesson. You'll never change your life until you change something you do every day. There are things we must do daily if we're to walk as Jesus walked. We sang about it just this morning. Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are ye washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you? If you want to start that walk, or if you want to renew that walk, please come while we stand and while we sing. I didn't, but I had handed out tonight. So everyone has one. Great. So these are the verses we're going to look at tonight and just kind of read through with just a few comments. I want to touch on a theme uh, using these verses that we're going to get into as we uh, do our study in Colossians in the morning. It relates to one of the themes in Colossians regarding our walk with Christ and, and our relationship with Him. We need to be careful that we don't define uh, holiness in terms of a list of standards rather than in terms of Scripture. Um, we need to avoid, we must avoid, um, describing Christ-likeness as staying within the confines of offenses that, that we set up rather than looking to what Christ is actually like as revealed in His Word. And there are many dangers with this, but, but one of the dangers that is associated with this, of, of, of confining um, holiness and Christ-likeness to the standards that, that we have established, um, one of the dangers of that is that we begin to assume that all is well in our walk with God. We assume that uh, we're, we're maturing and we're moving on with Christ if we keep within the boundaries that we have established. And we keep the list, we check our list, and we're doing all the lists, and we're within the fences, and so I'm a growing Christian, I'm walking with God, and, and that may not be the case. And so tonight, I'd like to just look briefly at one way and some related ways that the Bible actually describes Christ-like behavior. Um, fences and standards have their, their place, and they are helpful, and they are wise. In fact, Romans 13 tells us not to make provision for the flesh. And so we need to take the scripture, as Ephesians 4 says, and prove all things. Uh, rather, Ephesians 4 says, that's First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5, prove all things. Ephesians 4 says, proving what is acceptable unto God. We have a responsibility to take God's word and, and, and come before Christ as our Lord and say, is this acceptable to you? We have a responsibility to do that. And uh, in establishing these standards of behavior, it is wise and helpful to do that. Um, but if you're not walking with the Spirit in terms of God's word in some of the scripture we're going to look at this morning, regardless of 
defenses that you have and this external standards that you, you may be abiding by, all is not well. And so let's take a look at, at these passages. I had you first turn to one that's not on the list, John uh, 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Jesus tells us in this passage that a key witness to the world, those who are watching us as followers of the Christ, that we are his followers, is that we will be love, loving one another. That we will be getting along and treating one another with love and all the, the qualities that flow from love, and we're going to see some of those, whether it be humility or selflessness and giving of ourselves. And, um, and so let's look at these passages tonight and place these passages alongside of your life um, and, and say, how are, are all things well as far as my walk with the Lord? Maybe for a moment, if you can, if it's possible, lay aside some of the, the fences and standards that you have established that are, that are good. You may have many. Good standards in the area of music and behavior and all those things. Those are necessary and appropriate as we draw from Scripture how we should live. But let, let's look at these tonight and, and prove what is acceptable to the Lord as far as our walk with Him. Uh, Proverbs 18, 19, we read, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. You're all on the right side of the paper now. <laughs> a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle and the related proverb 17:14. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. These proverbs remind us that uh, contention and quarrels are a part of life, offending one another. Those things occur, don't they? Occur too often. And we need to be aware, take the wisdom of these proverbs, that we need to avoid contentions before they start. Because once that wall is built through a fence, it's really hard to take it down. So living our life in such a way that we're being careful that we don't offend. And being careful that the contention doesn't stop. Bringing love and peace and humility to a situation. Because once that contention starts, boy, what a graphic description. It's like the releasing of water. <laughs> you know, it's hard to, to stem the flood once it begins. And so uh, the qualities of love and humility are important to to bring into our relationships. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. This passage appears in a, in a context where, where Paul tells us that we are to put on Christ-likeness and we're to put off that which is not Christ-likeness. And he says that this is true holiness, to be doing this. Um, you ever wonder, as you go to your wardrobe in the morning, what I should wear? What am I going to put on today? Um, this passage tells us something that's always appropriate to wear. We are to always put on Christ-likeness. You want a good standard of dress that's internal, not just external? Put on Christ. When you look at your wardrobe, I hope you choose a wardrobe that's modest and is, is appropriate in terms of Scripture. But in addition to doing that, also say, am I going to put on Christ-likeness today in my relationship with others? And so we read here, Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, 
that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Notice that there in this passage is a putting off and there's a putting on. You put off lying and you put on speaking truth. You put off stealing and you put on laboring and giving. You put off this corrupt speech and you put on speech that is helpful. You put off bitterness and anger and clamor and you put on forgiveness. These are all qualities that are associated with Christ-like living and love. Philippians 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You want to diffuse quarrelsome situations? Put on humility. Don't wait for it to you feel humble. Put it on. We're commanded to do that. So rather than bringing yourself into situation and what you want, lay that aside. I'm going to say lay it, lay it aside for once. No, lay it aside all the time. <laughs> That's how we should live all the time, like Christ lived. Laying aside selfishness and be humble. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. All right, this is saying we're saved. We are those that are set apart for him, loved by God. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all the things, put on love which is the bond of perfection. In 1 Peter 3, 8-12. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Would that we would live that way in our homes and in our dorms in all our relationships. Romans fourteen nineteen. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Again, notice the fact that this is something that we're to run hard after. Peace is not something that just occurs on its own. It's something that we pursue. And uh, we, we go out of our way to, to make it happen by loving others and laying aside self. Something we need to pursue and run after. Not wait for the other guy to do it, but for us to do it first. Not wait for your husband to do it, or your wife, or your brother, or your sister. You bring peace to the situation. That's your responsibility. Put on peace. You want to be Christ-like? Put on peace. Pursue it. Galatians. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, 
Even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. All that law, all those rules put down into one, one phrase, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. I often use this in talking to different ones in my family. And I'll say, is that something you would want done to you? Then why did you do that to them? You need to love. You need to love. And the second half of the verse gives the opposite. What happens if we don't love? But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. What a way to live. Consuming one another. Eating each other up. Boy, that's... People look at that and say, are those followers of Christ? And rightfully so, they should question. We may look fine, have all the external standards of modesty and everything, and we're biting and devouring one another. Boy, people will say, well, they'll miss all that. I mean, all they're lo- how you're looking externally, they're looking at how you're behaving internally and what it, what's being shown. Romans 12, be kindly affectionate to one another with a brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. You see a number of places in, in the New Testament where these ideas come out. In fact, if you look through the letters that Paul writes, all the churches he's giving this, this instruction to. It's important. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who re- weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Good instruction there. I tell my my kids that wrong is always wrong, even if the other guy did it to you first. Revenge is not a Christian virtue. You're uh, in line somewhere and someone pushes you. Well, they push me. I'm going to push back. That's not Christ-likeness. That's not love. Well, they called me a name, so I, that gives me right to call them a name. No, wrong is always wrong. Even if the other guy did it to you first. Well, they cut me off in traffic. I'll cut them off. No, not right. Okay, we need to be walking in love. Then First John gets right down to the, to the heart of the matter. In fact, those comes right out and says that a characteristic of someone who's genuinely saved are those who love. Those who hate, First John says, you're a liar if you hate your brother and, and continually to treat him untimely and take advantage of him and put, push yourself in the situation and push others down. And that's the way you live your life. John comes right out and says, liar if you say you're a Christian and do those things. Because a characteristic of a Christian is Christ-like behavior. And Christ-like behavior is is love. Is love. Something we pursue and put on by His grace. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The top of the next page. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? The scripture is very clear. James. But no man can contain the tongue. It is an unruly evil 
full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. We come here and sing praise to God, bow the knee. There's one God and one mediator, and we sing all these wonderful praises to God, and then if we walk out of this place and use that same tongue and mouth to curse those that God has made, okay, we are um, not acting in a Christ-like way. And James says, that shouldn't be. It's incompatible. It doesn't match. Then he goes on later in the book of James. But if you have bitter envying and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. The idea of wisdom there is the is, the, is, is the, like the word skill. And this, James is setting this up to say, if you have the skill to be able to cut others down and, and build yourself up and take advantage of others and you can win arguments and you think, man, I win, I can use my tongue and I can use circumstances to get my way and I hold grudges against others and you, know, and you think that's, that's good, you know, you're, you're good at it. He's saying, you're deceiving yourself. Don't lie against the truth because that type of behavior is not good. It doesn't come from God. It comes from, from the devil. This wisdom doesn't ascend, descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For, envying, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every, every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle. I love this next one. Willing to yield. Willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they, come, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? And then in Matthew 5, Jesus teaching about the importance of forgiving one another, even in relation to worship, relation to giving yourself to the Lord. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, just continue worship and hold that grudge and everything will be fine. No. We're told that if you're going to genuinely worship and be able to offer sacrifices of praise and gifts that are honoring and acceptable to the Lord, we're told to do what? Leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. As much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Make every attempt to be reconciled with that brother. It may be that they refuse to be reconciled. You can only do your, your part. And if they refuse, you have, you have attempted and you continue to attempt to be kind, but you make that attempt. As much as lies in you, if it depends on you, you'll be at peace with others. You make that attempt. So here, the, it, it is, is set up in the idea that it does occur. Be reconciled to your brother. Praise the Lord. You're able to do that. Then come and offer your gift. In Luke 17, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day return to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That's how I feel. Fences come my way and it's like, I'm, I'm not overlooking that one. We need a lot of faith to realize that, that God's the one who will, who will settle these things. We need to love and show humility and deference and being willing to yield. And may God give us that type of faith. That, that that's what's really valuable. Getting your own way and coming out on top and 
in, in, you know, getting the zinger in when they, they come at you and you think you have won. No, you haven't. Value being willing to, um, uh, to, to pursue peace and being willing to forgive. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in any trespass, you are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. A willingness to help those who are struggling. Proverbs, by pride comes nothing but strife. I guess this proverb is saying if you dig to the root of strife, you're going to uncover something. You're going to uncover pride. You're going to uncover someone inserting themselves in that situation. And that's the root. I love this next one. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. <laughs> it's easy to start a quarrel. We do it all the time. That's, any fool can do that. But it takes an honorable man, an honorable woman, to be able to stop to be the one who yields, who gives in, who brings peace to the situation. Are you that honorable person in your home, with your brothers, your sisters, with your roommates? Any fool can start a quarrel and keep it going. It takes an honorable person. I would add there in terms of New Testament, a Christ-like person who can stop it. He who covers the transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Don't you appreciate it when you have offended someone and wronged them or done something either knowingly or unknowingly, where you have hurt someone or caused someone loss and, and they come to you and they're willing to release you of it. Don't you appreciate that? You're willing to overlook it? It doesn't feel like, wow, the burden is removed. Um, you know, you felt really bad about this happened and you're seeking to, to make it right or whatever and they and they just just so quick to release you. Wow. We should live that way. We should live that way. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. We know that in our house with a wood stove. Always having to bring wood in. Okay? And if it's not there, the fire goes out. But this is relating to a different type of fire. The fire of gossip and tailbearing. And, and, uh, where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. There's no one that's going to keep it going. And keep the issue going. Living for that conflict. Living for that quarrel. Feeding on it. Well, if you know one like that, it's hard to fight with someone who's not going to fight back. If we would just be willing to say, I'm going to stop fighting, I'm going to stop inserting myself into this, it would solve a lot of situations. And lastly, just the blessing that's associated with, with living in, in a life of, of true love with those who also um, are pursuing these things. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So I'd encourage you as you try to define holiness and Christ-likeness in your life, lay, lay verses like that next to your life. Ask yourself, am I walking in holiness? Am I walking in Christ-like behavior? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you. That's... We're going to move on to another section here in, in our study of the book of Colossians. I'm going to
touch a little bit on the last verse of the chapter of chapter one, the last verses there, but I will be moving into chapter two uh, this morning as well. And <coughs> what I like to do is I like to preach a message on maturing in our walk with Christ, maturing in our walk with Christ. And that seems to be what the theme here is as we uh, look at this next section of scripture. Uh, this next section, we have listed some methods that are used to mature you, some goals to become mature, and some evidences that you are mature. That's a hard one. <laughs> Amen. And then also how the practice uh, in your personal life when we are mature, the things that we actually do, the things that we actually, the way we think, the way we behave ourselves uh, is a mark of our maturity. And so I want to look at this, this uh, verse here, this passage starting in chapter 1, uh, and we're going to read from, uh, where do I have it, from verse 28. It says, now it's talking about Christ. Remember we talked about the mystery uh, of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we're talking about Jesus Christ. It says in verse 28, Whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. In chapter 2, verse 1, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have, I have not seen, uh, have not seen my face in the flesh. And so here we have the Apostle Paul just relaying a little bit of his heart. How to, he's got a conflict. And I think any Christian uh, pastor, anybody that is leading people uh, according to the Word of God, knows exactly what he's talking about here, this conflict. It's constant. It is daily. It goes on and on. <laughs> Amen. And you've got to learn to live with it. But the Apostle Paul had this conflict in him as well. Then it says in verse number 2, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of our Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you, with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am, am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would just guide me in this message this morning. I pray it would be something that our minds would engage with, our heart would be filled with, and, Lord, that our lives would be changed with. And I pray, dear God, that you would use it to help me and to help these precious people, Lord, and those listening by live stream. I pray for them. I lift them up to you, Lord. Please meet our needs this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, and so... We're talking about maturing. In the scripture, uh, basically the, the word for mature, you're not going to find maturing in the scripture, but you'll find the word perfect. The Bible says, be ye therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So he's our example. Uh, we aim towards that type of perfection. But perfection isn't mean, doesn't mean that you're going to go through life and get to this point 
where you're not going to have sin, you're not going to have temptation, you're not going to have failure. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about being matured for where the Lord has you. Uh, someone that's just newly saved, they will be at a certain maturity point. After a year of being saved, you'll be a little more mature. Amen. After 10 years, you ought to have uh, a good solid maturity level in your Christian life. And on and on and on it goes. But that doesn't mean that's true. I've met some Christians that have been saved a long time, and yet they're more immature than maybe a new convert. That happens. So, so there's things that we need to do in order to have that perfection accomplished in our life. And I think the first thing to mention is 2 Timothy 3.16. It talks about the Word of God. You're not going to get it apart from Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so this is our goal, is to be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And your Bible should say thoroughly, not thoroughly, because thoroughly is all the way through you. It's an internal change. Amen? And so it says thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the first thing I want to talk about is our methodology here, the method of maturity. How do we get mature? Uh, Well, this is, uh, you know, people have all kinds of ideas out there. I'm surprised in Christianity how there's many that say they're spiritual and they talk like they're spiritual, but they don't have a clue what the Bible says about how to become mature in Christ. Uh, They come up with their own methodology. And they say, well, as long as we all are aiming at the same point. No, it's not true. The methodology is important as well. How you get there and how you accomplish it That has to be according to God's will as well. Amen? You can't pick your own plan as you go through this. And so we have some of those things listed here. In verse 28, it says, Whom we preach. So we know that preaching is God's method for maturing believers. It really is. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. So God gives you preachers so that you can be matured. Amen? And then it goes on to say, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So there's three things that take place. There's your maturing, and then there's the work that results because of your maturing, and then because you're working in the ministry, you have the body of Christ being built up. If the body of Christ isn't being built up, that means that Christians aren't working. If Christians aren't working, that means that Christians aren't maturing. And if Christians aren't maturing, (laughs) it's because either they don't have a preacher to preach to them, or they're not listening to them. Amen? That's what the scriptures say. (laughs) We need to just bank on that. And today, I think in an effort to get away from the responsibility of church attendance, responsibility to a body in Christ, because you being a part of the body is a responsibility. You have a responsibility one to another. You're not just an island to yourself. Anybody that wants to maintain that attitude will never be used by God. Never. You've got to look at the church as a living organism. And if it's a living organism, that means that you're a part of that. 
And the Bible talks about being members one of another, and it talks about some being the hand, some the arm, you know, some the smelling, some the hearing. And so we all have a part within the function, and so we cannot pretend like it doesn't matter if we're not doing what the Lord wants us to do, because it's important. Amen? That's just Bible. I mean, you've got to argue with God on that. <laughs> all right? That's His methodology. And so... I'll walk around then for sure people at home won't hear me. <laughs> All right. If you can do that, that'd be great. I don't know, something wrong with our batteries. Maybe we've got to get a better brand. Okay. And so here we have in Colossians 1.28, it says, Whom we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that you may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So that's exactly the goal. The reason why I'm here is for your maturing. So excuse me if I get a little involved. Amen. Excuse me if it bothers me that you're not being faithful to God. Excuse me if I approach you and say, hey, is everything okay? Well, what's it your business? It is my business. It's my God-called business. God made me a pastor over a, a flock and he, he, he made us a body here, and this body needs to function, and there's a huge responsibility laid upon the pastors and teachers that they build that up, and that church goes forward for God. I have to meet God about that one day. Amen? Folks, I, I hate feeling bad about asking somebody how things are going. <laughs> I hate that. I shouldn't have to. <laughs> It should be automatic that pastor's going to care that I'm not in church. You know, after two weeks of missing, what's he calling me for? He's calling you because he cares about you. I don't want your money. I don't want your time and all these things. I just care about you. I don't want you to fail. I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want the devil to take advantage of you because he is alive and well and he is working to destroy the people of God. Amen? And any pastor that is worth anything <laughs> is going to hurt over anybody that is not where they ought to be. So excuse me, <laughs> amen, if you're offended by that. I got to meet God with it. I got to meet God with it. And I have to fear him more than you. <laughs> Amen. And so this aspect of presenting every man perfect. The Apostle Paul said, I want to present every man perfect. That means to cause or to stand near or before God. I would like to be able to take every one of our members, take them by the hand, and lead them up to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, may I introduce to you this strong believer in Christ. <laughs> Present you. Amen. The Apostle Paul had that mindset. He says, I want to invest in you so I could present you perfect, mature in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you're wondering why I'm here, this isn't to fill time. <laughs> this isn't just because I had nothing else better to do. It's not because this is a great money-making racket. <laughs> Amen. I'm doing this. That's why I'm doing this. And that's why it hurts 
when people cut you off. That's why it hurts when they leave and they don't say a word. Folks, I lose sleep over that stuff. Now, you may not think so. You may not care. But I do, and whether you care or not, it's the same for me. (laughs) And sometimes, if you don't care, it's worse for me. (laughs) Amen. It really is. And you can ask my wife. She's constantly just, (laughs) darling, just, (laughs) you know, I can't help it. I'm asking God, please, take away whatever this is that makes me hurt over this. You know? And he doesn't. He says, nope, I want to leave you with that. Because that makes you profitable. Amen? And you know what I think? That isn't just for me. I think we all ought to have that. Because the Bible says that all members should suffer when one member suffers. It should bother us terribly if there's somebody that's not here and you're saying, where are they? I haven't seen them in two weeks. Now, they may have a good reason. They may be out wherever, they, whatever reason they may be sick. But it, it, should, it should grip us. Amen? And immediately we should be calling to God and say, God, I don't know what's going on here. We've got a, a member that's hurting or something. They're not where they ought to be. Amen? Now, there may be nothing you can do about it, but pray. But that sure is something. That sure is something that protects them from the onslaughts of Satan and what he's trying to do in people's lives. Amen? We've got to be a praying people. But preaching, I'm getting back to pray. I should have put praying first, amen? Preaching. <laughs> so I'm going to preach. The word preach means to tell or declare or to cl- declare plainly and openly or aloud. I've had some people say, don't yell so much when you preach. Well, that's not preaching. <laughs> I've got to preach. I mean, I could teach. I mean, teaching isn't so much yelling. It's a lot of thought type stuff. I always say, teaching speaks to your mind. Preaching speaks to your heart. Amen. I believe that's true. I believe the preaching of the word of God is what causes that burning in your heart and that just wells up inside of you. When you come to church and you're kind of feeling down and the preaching of the word of God begins and all of a sudden you just feel something energizing inside of your heart and you can't even put your finger on it. Amen. But you're just filling up inside. A fire is developing. It's kind of like when the, the men on the road to Emmaus walked with Jesus. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us? When he walked with us, he spoke to us in the, by the way. Amen. That's exactly what the preaching ought to do. If it doesn't, there's something wrong with your spiritual life. There's something wrong with the hearing. <laughs> something's been shut off. Something's been uh, affected in your life. The Bible says in Titus 1 verse 3, but hath in these due times manifested his word through preaching. How does God manifest his word? Through preaching. You know, I've had many people tell me, and, they, and folks, uh, I preach against a, a lot of things, <laughs> you know, especially in the day and age in which we live. There are so many things that are happening, I think, that are watering down the work of God and compromising the church of God, the holiness of the church, the power of the church. We have a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. Music is one of those things. And I've had people tell me, oh, but this kind of music is being used so greatly to reach the lost. And I say, God didn't choose that. If you look in scripture, God did not choose music to reach the lost. In fact, the Bible tells us 
in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 18, first it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. That means if you're a saved individual, you love the preaching of the word of God. If you don't like preaching, there's something wrong maybe with the salvation part. But then you have verse 21 where it says, But after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. They don't know him. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Be careful about putting music in the place of preaching. It doesn't, it doesn't belong there. In fact, if you look up music in the scripture, it's very clear. It's there so that we as believers can sing with grace in our hearts, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Music in the church is not for the lost, it's for the saved. It's a teaching ministry. <laughs> and that's why when I had, I even spoke to an AHS person, and I said, you know, we sing here. <laughs> and I said, we sing because it's a teaching ministry. It's not for entertainment. It's not just because we've got nothing better to do. <laughs> it's, we teach one another with it. It's a part of our worship. And therefore, it's not expendable. Amen? And so the Bible says in your hearts and, and teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but the preaching, God chose to use preaching to manifest his word to the lost and to the saved. And the Bible says to win the lost, you need the preaching of the word of God. But it seems within the context of the churches today, it seems like this thing right here, this pulpit is being moved aside. And you know what's being put in its place? A drum set. I remember in my first ministry, we didn't have a building, much like we are now. <laughs> it's just, I'm used to this, amen. And, uh, and we, needed, we had to do a funeral. And so I rented the Baptist church in town. Used to be an independent fundamental Baptist church. Used to be much like we are now, but it wasn't anymore. And when I went there, I asked, where's the pulpit? Oh, it's in the back room somewhere. So I had to go to the back room and I had to move a bunch of junk to find an old dusty pulpit in the back corner. And then I took that thing out and I dusted it off and I put it exactly where it belonged, in the center of that platform. Because that's where the word of God belongs, in the center. And I had to take some sheets that they used to cover the grand piano to cover up the huge drum set they had put there in its place. <laughs> Folks, there's something wrong with our Christianity today. <laughs> the more this music is moving in, the more the Word of God is moving out. We need to put the Word of God back in. <laughs> it dictates everything that we do here. The Word of God will tell us where our music belongs in this church. It'll tell us what kind of music we listen to in this church, amen? And what's acceptable unto the Lord. And so it's very important that preaching stays where it ought to be. Number two is warning. Notice what it says, warning every man. 
This is not fun sometimes. <laughs> this isn't something everybody wants. Oh, I can hardly wait to warn this person, you know. No, I, I, I look forward to preaching. But sometimes warning is kind of a tender issue with people. They don't like to be warned. Someone once said, unsought for advice is uh, seldom taken and often resented. <laughs> Amen. And sometimes that's what preaching is. Preaching is, is giving you advice over the word of God, warning you about things that maybe you're involved with. And you know what? If you're not seeking for a warning, if you're not seeking for direction, you'll become resentful to the message of the word of God. But you know what? I can't stop. <laughs> and you'll have people leave, and I'll still be warning. And folks, if everybody leaves, and it's just my family here, I'd warn them. We got to continue. It's so important. We're fighting for the souls of our families. We're fighting for our future generations. Folks, look at what's going on out there. You know, the reason why we're in the situation we're in, in our political climate, in our country, is because parents have neglected to teach the Word of God to their kids. And they've relegated it to maybe an hour, even if they get that, on a Sunday at Sunday school. Now, I'm glad they're getting that, because many kids don't. I remember one time I was working, and <clears throat> this was I was in college, I was working with my dad, and we were in a, um, a small town, and I was down, down in, a, in an excavation site about nine feet down, and I looked up, and I saw this little boy just looking down in there. You know, boys are like that, amen? They're very curious. <laughs> I would have let him come down if it would have been okay. Back then, it probably could have, you know. But after I was done, I went up and I saw the little boy. He says, so do you go to Sunday school? Nah. We watch football on Sunday mornings. You know what he was doing? He was doing what dad does. Your priorities as a father will become your children's priorities. They are not going to become better than you. Now, if they do... It's probably because they hit a brick wall following your way. And then they turn. <laughs> but why have to put them through that? <laughs> why? You know, you got this mentality out there today. <clears throat> oh, well, they need to sow their wild oats. No, they don't. They don't. That's wicked. That's ungodly. <laughs> you know, there's some religions out there. They allow their young people to go out and live in sin for a period of season just to get it out of their system. As if it's something in them that needs to get out. <laughs> no, it's something in them that needs to be forgiven. That needs to be cleansed. But never practiced. Because when you practice sin, you give Satan an opportunity to blind you and to build strongholds in your life. Amen? I don't want that for my kids. So what do I do? I warn them. You can ask my kids. <laughs> this isn't just about preaching over the pulpit. I'll sit them down and I will warn them about certain behaviors. I'll warn them about certain attitudes. And I'll tell you, this is where that attitude will bring you ultimately. <laughs> Amen? Well, you're hard on your kids. <laughs> I love them too much not to warn them. Warning is vital to maturity. Preaching is vital. Your kids need preaching. This service isn't just for adults. You need to bring your kids here. Well, they're four years old. They don't see any. You know what they will see? They'll see that there's something important going on. 
And in the coming years, you'll be surprised. I've had my little daughter, uh, Vivian, tell me things. Dad, you said this. Oh, you're listening. <laughs> you know, surprise, <laughs> you know. And they listen. And they catch more than you think. Amen? So we need them to get them under the word of God. We cannot start thinking this is expendable. And now because we've reached some enlightened age in Christianity, now the church doesn't matter anymore because, you know, we've got it all figured out. No, we are, we are more lost than we've ever been. We are smack dab in the middle of an apostasy within Christianity today. And that's why we think that way. Even people going to independent fundamental churches don't see the reason why they need to go to church. And you know what gets me the worst? Is none of them have looked for the answer. I I know that because when I tell them the answer from the scripture, they don't listen. (laughs) That means they've never searched for it. They've never wanted it. They don't care about it. But I need to warn And I'll continue doing that. Amen. That's how we present men perfect to Christ. That's how we bring people to a place of maturity in their life. We have to do that. Amen. And folks, there's a lot of work to do. (laughs) There's a lot for us to accomplish in Airdrie. And we need mature believers that are going to take this responsibility seriously and join in the battle. Amen. Join in the battle. Not only Airdrie, I mean, we've got (laughs) millions of people around us. All right? And then we have also teaching. Oh, let me just add one more thing to the warning aspect. In Ephesians 4, verse 14, it says, That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. They're waiting. They're lying in wait for our families. That's why we warn. That's why we tell them, don't go there. (laughs) That's why we say, be careful where you're surfing on the Internet. You can listen to all the Internet preachers you want. That doesn't put you in church. Listening to the Internet is not church. I understand when you're in a situation, you don't have a church. Well, you know what? I think God gives great grace for you to be able to hear somebody's church, for you to zoom in. But it's not a bunch of, oh, I'm going to listen to a thousand different preachers out there. I think God will lead you to a specific direction where he wants you to follow a certain faith. But this jumping around, it's hurting people. It really is. I'm not against listening to preaching on the internet. But if you're not in a church not involved in it with your own pastor, your own teachers, that ought to be first before any internet preaching. <laughs> and then if you have internet preaching, it ought to be your pastor and your teachers first. Amen. But I'm not saying I'm against, because I can hear it now. <laughs> you know, pastor says he's against all internet preachers. Oh yeah, he's against it all. No, when I got right with the Lord, I was on the job. And what I did is I had preaching tapes from our church and from other churches that tied with us that I trusted, and I'd listened to them hundreds of hours while I was operating heavy equipment. God used that to help me to get strong enough where I could overcome smoking and different things like that in my life. 
where I could finally surrender to go to Bible college and God could call me to preach and move me on. So I'm not against tapes, I'm not against CDs, I'm not against good preachers on the internet, but what I'm telling you today is, above all days, there are, there's so much junk out there. They're lying in wait to deceive. Next one is teaching, teaching. To know or to teach, instruct by the word. Like I said, this has to do with, with the mind. This has to do with you formulating how things work and how things fit together, you know? When I started in, in, uh, in my walk with the Lord, uh, learning things was like there's a blob over there, there's a blob over there, <laughs> there's a blob over there. There was a bunch of different ideas that were scattered around. And every time I'd hear a preacher, I'd say, oh, that belongs to that little block <laughs> of ideas. And I'd put another piece in the puzzle. But you know what happened as I gave myself to the teaching of God's word, allowed my mind to think upon the things of scripture, I began to take some of these separate pieces and began fitting them with other ones. You know, before you can do that, and this is what I tell people as well, if you look at a puzzle, um, the first part that you do in a puzzle is what? The edges. See, that's your fundamental doctrines. <laughs> that is the, the, the frame that keeps everything together. So no matter what I'm putting together, I'm not going to take it outside of that, those boundaries. Amen? So I got my idea of salvation set. <laughs> I know who Jesus Christ is. I know about the Trinity. I know some of these fundamental things that have an impact on my whole doctrine if I don't have them right. We call them the, the, the basic doctrines of the Word of God. <laughs> but within those doctrines, there's all kinds of little things. Like, everybody keeps talking about the blood of Jesus. <laughs> I know that fits within the context of salvation, uh, Jesus Christ, and how he works. But I don't know how it connects. And so, there's a lot of different doctrines that I've got splattered about inside of my frame that I'm not connecting yet. <laughs> but if I give myself to teaching and I allow myself to learn, because even within preaching, you're going to find a lot of teaching. <laughs> Today I'm teaching you, but I'm also preaching. Every now and then it's just like I come along and bam, give you a good shot in the heart, and then I speak to your mind again. Because <laughs> sometimes you got to do that. you got to engage them again. But you know, it, after a while, and I'm not saying i got a full of my puzzles complete yet, but what I'm beginning to see is a lot more <laughs> of that is fitting than it used to. And that's because I've given myself to learning. I took classes, I've read, I've studied, I look up words, I, all these things. Oh, man, I see. <laughs> and now it's getting more to the point where I can say, oh, yeah, this fits with that. And, you know, it's just like all there. I see the picture. And, but there's still some places missing for me. <laughs> hey, man, I still need help. And, you know... What I'm beginning to see is that picture that's being presented there. You know how on the box they've got, that's what it's supposed to look like? <laughs> that's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. Ultimately, at the end of this all, it all revolves around Jesus Christ. Everything, that he might have the preeminence in all things. Amen? <laughs> Look at the church. What's all this about? 
you know. Oh, we're just getting together and just hanging out and listen to a good lecture, get inspired. Really? Why would Jesus call this his body? Why is this his body? It didn't tell me that I was different than the body. He points to me as a pastor. He says, you're in the body too. But do you know what he calls himself? The head. He's the head of the body. And the body he calls the church. The body of Christ is the church. <laughs> so you think about that and you start meditating on this a little bit. Here I have a body. My body has a head. <laughs> it better, amen. <laughs> Where does, how do I know I was going to just do that? Where did that come from? Right up there. Not from a group of men, not from a denomination. It came from the head. That's why we're independent. See, the, the doctrine of having an independent church is based upon Scripture. Because only Christ can become the head of the body. Now, the body is unified together. It's practical, and that's why, and with among a hundred other reasons, why we believe the church is local. Now, people would like it just to be universal. Because if there's a universal church, then I don't have to worry about joining anywhere. Then I don't have to worry about going there, there. I don't have to submit to any particular church. I could just kind of hop around. I had an evangelist one time come to one of our revival meetings, said, oh, what church? He said, I'm an evangelist. I said, oh, what church are you from? Oh, I don't have a church. I just flow through the body. I guess maybe he was the blood, I don't know, <laughs> of the body. But see, he had a, a right away as I knew he had a universal church mentality. He did not submit himself to a local body. Now, there's an important reason why we have a local body, because within a local body, just like Israel, they gave us the example. He didn't just say to Abraham, go make a nation in the world somewhere. <laughs> just go hang around people. Go hang around people, you'll have an influence. He says, no, this is what I'm going to do first. I'm going to take you, I'm going to prepare you, and bring you to the land. And then I want you to go into that land, and I'm going to give you the exact boundaries of the land. And then whatever's in those boundaries, I want you to clean out. Any garbage that's in there, I want you to kick it out. See, the problem is with a universal church, you can't kick out any garbage. You can't even hold someone accountable to their doctrine. You don't even know whose doctrine is what, you know. But a local assembly like this, we know exactly what we believe. And we're working within those boundaries. And someone may come in and say, oh, we're just flowing through the body. We can believe what we want. I'll say, well, you can believe what you want. You've got that freedom, individual soul liberty, but you cannot teach that in this body. And the moment you do, you have to leave. And we'll expose it. That's why the Bible says, mark those that cause divisions among you, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. Amen? So Bible. The Bible puts the whole pieces together. <laughs> but if you've asked somebody, 
what's your idea of church? And they'll answer like someone would just be coming up with some philosophical idea. But they'll never be, thus saith the Lord. Amen? And so teaching, warning, preaching, it's vital for your life. You can't do without it. You can't. Well, you can go on without it, but you will not be used of God without it. Jesus himself was a preacher. He was a teacher, and folks, he warned on hell more than any other New Testament preacher. In fact, he was the one that came up with the word Gehenna for the lake of fire as he looked at the garbage burning in the valley of Hinnom. He says, if you're not going to get saved, you're going to go to Gehenna, the lake of fire where the worm dieth not. Jesus warned. Jesus taught. Jesus preached. Amen. We need that. <laughs> this church needs that. And folks, I just want, you, uh, you know, I'm not going to get much further. I, I really did not get far at all. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so we'll be done. But I just want you to see that this methodology it's not just because Baptists do it. This, is, this has been done since Jesus Christ walked the earth. They sat down and they listened. You know what? And he didn't have to coerce anybody to come. They were waiting for him to preach. They'd be, the Bible says they pressed upon him to hear what he had to say. Amen? God, give us Christians like that today. God, give us Christians that come back to the house of God and start taking seriously the plan of God once again to hear the preaching of the Word of God. And I guarantee you this, if you give yourself to learn it, and you say, I want to know, you will not be offended. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. <laughs> Number one, if I'm doing right, and someone says, I'm not doing right, I'm not offended because I know from the word of God I'm doing right. If I love the Bible and I'm not doing right, and someone preaches or teaches that I'm not doing right, I'm grateful because I love the word of God, and so I change. The Bible says, if you reprove a scorner, he will bring you shame. But the Bible says that a wise man will love you for it. So when you tell somebody the truth and they scorn you, you've just found out what they are. But if you tell someone the truth and they say, wow, I've never saw that before, thank you, you've just met a wise man. Amen? So remember that. Don't be a scorner. <laughs> In fact, the scripture says that a scorner is an abomination to God. An abomination. Wow, what a terrible thing to be called. I, when I hear something, I want to at least be able to process it and say, hey, I've never heard this before. If I haven't, and take it to the word of God, I'm not going to be offended, but I just want to know, Lord, is this something you want in my life, you know, or not? It's not about offense. It's about growing. It's about maturing. It's about moving forward. The, the preaching, the warning, the teaching, and the last one here I have is laboring. Notice what it says in the verse 29. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. 
See, the Apostle Paul is saying, I labor. <laughs> and remember, we were looking in, in the seven churches on Sunday night on how that Jesus says, I know thy works. I know thy labor. So works and labor are two different things. Works is what you do. Labor is the diligence in you doing it. Amen? Then he says, I know thy patience. That's perseverance. I know that you get it done. Amen? So when he's saying, I labor, he's not just saying, I'm doing stuff. He's saying, I have a passion for this. It's in my heart. I labor according to what God is doing in my heart. For it is God which worketh in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen. The views expressed on this program are those of the guests and not necessarily the views of management and staff of OBS Radio, OBS International, and Greater Works Business Services. Guests who appear on this podcast are not required to pay a fee and is made possible by RadioGuestList.com. For more information, please visit our website at www.obsintl.cf. Follow OBS on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash broadcast section. If you want to contribute financially to help us continue broadcasting, please go to paypal.me.obsintl. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services.